When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thank you for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Cameroon's crisis pitting its English-speaking minority against the French-speaking majority is devolving into a civil war with violence racking the country, sending an increasing flow of refugees into neighboring Nigeria. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the worsening conditions in Cameroon is Ilaria Alagrazi from London, senior Central Africa researcher at Human Rights Watch. Ilaria, thanks for joining the crisis next door. Thank you very much for having me here. The Anglophone crisis started in the fall of 2016 and has steadily regressed into protests, armed insurrection, And now it's being described by observers as a full-fledged civil war, with an estimated 1,900 people killed in the fighting. It's also estimated around 35,000 Anglophones have fled into Nigeria for safety. Ilaria, how accurate are these numbers? It seems very difficult to get information out of Cameroon. Yeah, um, it is difficult because um, access um, is uh, not great and um, humanitarian organizations are struggling to um, um, assess the needs of the population um, which have been affected by the violence. However, um, we know that um, estimations at the moment put the number of uh, IDPs, internally displaced people, at about half a million, and I think this is a pretty accurate uh, figure. Um, let's remember that this was one of the fastest growing displacement crises in Africa last year. In 2018, we had about 160,000 people um, estimated internally displaced and in need of humanitarian assistance, and now they are more than um, half a million. Uh, plus, you have 30,000 refugees in Nigeria. So the number of 30,000 uh, people represents only those who have been registered with the UN Agency for Refugees, the UNHCR, but uh, it is believed that the number of refugees in Nigeria is actually higher because people uh, have not been registered and are living far away in very remote areas in uh, the countryside. Um, And the needs of these people are great, um, humanitarian needs, but also desperate need for protection, given the fact that the violence is rife and um, attacks are ongoing on a daily basis. Let's start with the internally displaced. What do we know about their living conditions? Um, we know that they are um, mostly hosted by families that do not live in uh, camps um, and uh, their needs are uh, great, especially in terms of um, shelter, um, food, non-food items. Um, let's remember that um, many villages and many homes have been burned down, especially by the army in the course of these uh, two last years of violence. And so people... Uh, have lost everything, they have lost their homes and they are yet to come back and conditions for return are not yet met, of course, because violence is still going on. What kind of an impact is this having on those who are not displaced, that are hosting these families that have been displaced? Are are they able to, to get any aid at all to help the people they're hosting? 
um, humanitarian organizations are trying to help all those affected, um, which means not only those internally displaced, but also, of course, hosting families, um, because um, the burden of hosting uh, displaced people is great on these uh, already vulnerable uh, communities. Um, and so uh, assistance is um, reaching everyone in both the north and southwest regions. How serious is government obstruction to humanitarian organizations? Um, I would put it um, in another way. I would say that indeed um, there are serious access um, challenges, not only for humanitarian organizations, organizations, but also for human rights organizations. Also, humanitarians are at risk at the moment, and um, at least a dozen national humanitarian staff have been uh, kidnapped since last year. Um, so far, they have been released, um, thankfully. Um, but this explains how difficult it is also for um, humanitarian uh, workers to reach the affected populations. Um, uh, both government forces and armed separatists are um, putting up obstacles on the road of um, humanitarians to uh, deliver assistance, um, especially when it comes to roadblocks or checkpoints or allowing um, humanitarians to assess the needs of the population. Um, in addition to that, um, most of the internally displaced people are living um, in uh, faraway areas uh, where, which are very hard to reach. You yourself were denied entry into Cameroon in April after being permitted a three-month visa. Have you ever gotten an explanation as to why your entry was denied? No, um, we didn't receive any explanation from the government. And indeed, I was denied access to the country when I landed in Douala on the 12th of April. I was really surprised to um, see the police waiting for me at the exit of the plane. It wasn't really a nice welcoming. Um, I was questioned by the police and sent back without any explanation. We have tried to um, seek this explanation from the authorities, um, but so far we didn't receive any feedback. Um, this is very concerning, and um, I would say it's a, it's a step back for the country, um, and um, it's a strategy of uh, intimidation and roadblock um, uh, that the government is trying to uh, put um, against human rights organizations, and uh, uh, we have a very important role to play, especially at this uh, time in Cameroon, to report on abuses committed by both sides, um, and uh, the government is just trying to um, leave everyone in the dark. Um, and we have asked the government, and we will continue to do so, to reverse this decision. You mentioned the fact that there have been humanitarian workers who have been kidnapped in Cameroon. Some have been released. As you yourself try to gain entry into Cameroon to examine the crisis going on there, how do you square up with the fact that you yourself could be a target of kidnappers? Um, I have never felt I was um, a target when I was in Cameroon. Um, I think that um, our protection um, is uh, our organization, um, is the reputation of the organization. We document um, abuses uh, by both sides. And um, we try, of course, to be careful when we are in the field. Um, but we have to uh, talk to everyone. We have to 
to talk to all the alleged uh, perpetrators as well as with the victims. And um, first of all, we worry most uh, and more about the security and safety of the sources of our information and the people the, 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 who talk to us. Very brave work that you and your comrades do. International aid has been focused on the Anglophone regions where most of the displaced civilians live, but there's an estimated 90,000 displaced civilians in the Francophone areas, and they are reportedly not receiving much assistance. Is this something that international groups need to rectify in order to avoid a perception of favoritism for the Anglophiles? The humanitarian, the security um, situation in both the north and southwest uh, continue uh, continues to deteriorate day by day, um, and has already gone beyond the borders of the Anglophone regions. And uh, there is a risk, a clear risk, of for this crisis of spiraling including into neighboring departments, namely uh, the littoral and the west. And notably in the west region, the increase in arrivals and the numbers of IDPs from the north and southwest has been confirmed by um, local government officials, including the senior divisional officers who uh, are on the ground. Um, the impact of the crisis in the north and southwest has affected other regions indeed, and um, this was also acknowledged by um, the Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator um, last week in um, a meeting focused on Cameroon, um, an area formula meeting, an informal meeting on the humanitarian situation in Cameroon of the Security Council. So I think there's a recognition that the crisis is affecting also other regions, that other people in neighboring regions are in need of assistance. And we've seen the refugee flow increase into neighboring Nigeria. What are the conditions in those camps? I visited those camps um, last time last year. Um, I was able to um, visit um, several places and several sites where um, refugees have settled. Um, they are not staying exactly in camps, but in sites, I would say, and also in hosting families. Um, some, as I mentioned before, um, have not been registered with the UN Agency for Refugees, the UNHCR, so they are still living in the bushes in very far away areas. Um, the conditions are um, dire. They uh, need um, humanitarian assistance to um, continue. They can't uh, go back home, um, either because their homes have been destroyed, uh, but especially because violence is still going on and they fear uh, being attacked by both uh, the government forces, but sometimes also by the armed separatists. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the civil war in Cameroon with Alaria Alagrazzi, senior Central Africa researcher at Human Rights Watch. How is Nigeria's attitude toward the refugees? Is Nigeria allowing humanitarian organizations to come in and help the refugees? Well, I think that's a very good question because we have seen um, some problematic um, aspects of 
the approach Nigeria is having with uh, Anglophone refugees. And for example, we have um, interviewed a number of detainees um, who were um, arrested in Nigeria and uh, Cameroonians, I mean, um, people who were arrested in Nigeria and forcibly returned to Cameroon despite being registered as refugees or asylum seekers. Um, the Nigerian government has returned about um, 50 people um, since January last year in a violation of the principle of no refoulement, uh, which is the practice of not forcing refugees or asylum seekers to return to a country, in this case Cameroon, in which they might be subjected to uh, persecution or they might be at risk of torture, um, which is the case in Cameroon, as Human Rights Watch documented in a recent uh, report. Um, so the Nigerian authorities should uh, put in place uh, uh, more effective measures to protect uh, vulnerable Cameroonians um, seeking asylum or refugees from being forcibly returned to Cameroon, uh, because this is a clear breach of the UN Refugee Convention. Do some of the Cameroonians in Nigeria hope to return to Cameroon if conditions change? Um, this is another very good question. I think it would be interesting like, to um, have a more updated um, view uh, from the refugees. As I said, last time I was there, it was, um, in, it was last year. Um, and um, I have to say that most of the people I've spoken with um, told me that they didn't want to come back to Cameroon. Um, first of all, because uh, the conditions for return were not met because of the violence, because they lost everything, but also because they uh, do not see Cameroon as their uh, country anymore. You mentioned all of the villages in Cameroon that have been destroyed during this conflict, and that includes in the Anglophone area schools that have been closed for at least two years. Is this creating a lost generation in Cameroon? Would those children even be able to go back to school if the conflict ended tomorrow? Um, I think so. I think there's a clear risk to have a lost generation of um, Cameroonians. In 2017, when the separatists uh, began to burn school buildings, threatening education officials with violence and with intimidation, uh, uh, they also enforced a boycott of schools in the Anglophone regions. Um, they also burned down a number of uh, school buildings. Up to um, 60 schools have been damaged or burned in both regions. Um, and so these attacks on education are, are very serious and very concerning. The separatists are um, just trying also to um, uh, render the regions ungovernable uh, and have created an environment that has been preventing uh, tens of thousands of children from attending classes over the past two school years, um, even more. So um, kids, are kids are losing out, um, and uh, the fact that they are out of school uh, increases also uh, other risks for them, including uh, being forcibly recruited in the armed separatist groups or um, early pregnancy or HIV. Um, and uh, this is a very serious problem. Are you getting any reports that children are being taken into the separatist groups, that are being forced to fight for the separatists? Yes, we have received reports of uh, children being recruited and um, fighting in the ranks of some of the armed separatist groups. Um, we have also collected evidence of um, um, kids 
um, at checkpoints, um, but it, it is more anecdotal evidence that uh, um, a consistent uh, pattern, I would say. But there's no doubt that kids are uh, also uh, fighting and are uh, helping um, in different uh, positions the uh, the separatists on on the ground. I also wanted to add that um, children have been um, are paying uh, probably the highest price uh, in this crisis, um, not only because they are out of school, but also because they have been directly targeted in uh, attacks aimed at kidnapping um, students in um, schools. Um, there was a very emblematic incident in February this year uh, when 170 students have been kidnapped uh, by the armed separatists from a boarding school in Kumbo. This incident didn't really make it to the headlines and I was really surprised not to hear anyone uh, denouncing this incident uh, but Human Rights Watch uh, because it was probably one of the worst um, attacks on education in the uh, recent African history possibly only after the Shibok kidnapping in uh, Nigeria. Uh, this is to say that um, children have been uh, targeted and are you know, paying um, a, a very high price in this crisis. You mentioned the Nigerian kidnapping, uh, Boko Haram, with the schoolgirls. Uh, this does sound just like this. Did the, that separatist group mirror that kidnapping off of what Boko Haram did? Are you seeing similarities in this conflict with what Nigeria has had to deal with with Boko Haram? No, I don't think so. Um, I didn't want to make any uh, comparison or like draw any similarities, uh, but it is a reality that Boko Haram is still uh, active in uh, Cameroon, um, still poses a significant threat to the far north region of the country. Um, and although it has been um, weakened, I uh, would say that it, it has not been defeated yet. And uh, many Cameroonians joined Boko Haram since uh, the beginning of the conflict, uh, possibly up to um, 4,000, uh, maybe more. Some have been killed, uh, others have been arrested, uh, but some, an unknown number, maybe more than 1,000, are still uh, active. And some of them uh, are also uh, minors, they're children. Um, very few have laid down weapons, for example, because there are not enough um, uh, and adequate demobilization and reintegration programs. But Boko Haram still uh, represent a significant threat, both for the population, the civilian population, and the security forces in the far north region of Cameroon. Why do you think children and the education system has been under attack in Cameroon? Why that particular focus for the groups? I think there are different reasons um, for this. When the crisis escalated, um, those who took up the streets were mostly teachers and lawyers. And teachers were protesting against the use of um, French in Anglophone schools. Um, they were saying that, you know, the, the central government was imposing um, French teachers um, and, you know, French judges in courts. So I think the schools were targeted exactly 
for these reasons. But, you know, I don't want to say that because I'm not entirely sure. But of course, like, uh, school have been under attack, but also because they wanted, like, to make these regions ungovernable. So, like, they want to boycott everything. They wanted to boycott school activities, um, uh, economic activities. Um, and that's why also they enforced, like, the ghost towns and these, you know, sort of strikes in the Anglophone regions. What do you think the international community can do to help out Cameroonians? I think you're asking this question at a very important time because last week there was an informal meeting of the UN Security Council on Cameroon, uh, the first time the UN Security Council discussed uh, the Anglophone crisis, um, although informally. And uh, I believe this is a very important and encouraging step um, but we are now uh, asking the Security Council uh, to actually go uh, a step further and put Cameroon as a formal item of its agenda and discuss it more regularly and more often. Um, and also not to focus only on the humanitarian crisis, which of course is very serious, but also to um, look at the human rights crisis. There's a human rights catastrophe ongoing in the Anglophone regions on Cameroon, and the world um, to be looking the other side. So I think it's important to um, engage the international community and I was uh, pleased to see um, some members of the UN Security Council being vocal about also the need for accountability for crimes and abuses committed by both sides. I was less pleased to see other um, countries less engaged, in particular uh, the African uh, non-permanent uh, members of the UN Security Council. Um, and I think it would be important to, uh, for them to uh, engage more and to be more proactive. Um, in general also, um, I would like to emphasize the importance of moving beyond bilateral uh, engagement uh, which is the preferred approach for uh, some countries which have been looking at the crisis in the Anglophone regions and being more uh, vocal uh, to denounce actually what's happening, what's happening in, in public. Let's hope that the world gets more serious and helps put an end to this crisis sometime very soon. Ilaria, thank you so much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you very much. We've been talking about the civil war in Cameroon with Alaria Alagrazzi, senior Central Africa researcher at Human Rights Watch. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.